Welcome to the podcast. Are you ready to thrive? You've tuned in to the most joy-filled podcast on the internet. Just like finding that bonus French fry at the bottom of the bag. Welcome to The Last Try with Patrick and Deacon Week. Welcome into the show, everyone. So glad to have you back and so glad to have another guest speaker. As we are rapidly approaching, Patrick, I believe we're rapidly approaching our 5,000th download. So yes. we figured the best way to put us right over the top is to bring in somebody else because <laughs> those shows are always the most popular. So let's let's bring it across the it, finish line. It's sad but true. That's very, and, very true. Our guests are really in, pulling up for us. A guest, a guest speaker. And, and we're very excited about uh, our guest speaker on this show as well. We're kind of a continuation. We took a little break from our Doing Hard Things series. And I guess that's not really a series. I guess it was like a, a number of shows followed by a large break, and now we're back. Kind of a thing, <laughs> the, the break in the series series. Um, but we're super excited to welcome in uh, Father Michael Nemchuk, uh, who is a priest, and I met him doing my work in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he is uh, going to tell us some amazing stories about his ministry and and some of the amazing things that his family has done from a long time ago. We'll talk about a story from, from World War II and then a much more recent story as he talks about his ministry. So welcome in Father Michael. Let's have a big round of applause for Father. Do you have it? Do you have the button? Do you have the button? There it is. Hey, thank you so much for, for having me on. And uh, actually, I think some of the stuff that you'd mentioned that we might talk about I think ties in quite nicely with uh, doing hard things. Um, but I, at the outset, I have to admit, I feel a little bit used. Uh, I'm just here to get you over 5,000. I mean, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> with it, I guess. But to <laughs> be honest about our emotions, <laughs> you know, right? You're a, that's right. You're, giving, you're a giving man as part of your ordination. You just have to give and give. <laughs> but we appreciate you being here. Um, so just for our listeners, if you can just kind of give, you know, a brief background to kind of, you know, who you are and um, kind of where you grew up and and your ordination and just sort of how long you've been a priest and just kind of give us a general background. Yeah, certainly. Get to know you a little so bit I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe uh, in New Mexico, obviously where, where you and I had met. I was ordained in 2016, so it's been seven years now. Uh, served in various capacities in the archdiocese, but as of this past June, I've been serving at Mount Angel Seminary in Oregon as the coordinator for the propedeutic stage, which is an exciting new thing the church is doing where uh, the first year, at least, um, is a dedicated stage of formation and discernment where the men focus a little bit more on the human and the spiritual formation rather than jumping straight into philosophy and theology studies. So they still take some classes, but the focus is a little bit more on building a solid human and spiritual uh, foundation for the rest of their journey. And I have the awesome privilege of being able to work with these men uh, in that priestly formation. Nice, nice. And still have family mm -hmm. in the Albuquerque area, I understand. Is that correct? Mom and yes, dad I have three sisters. sisters. One is in the Albuquerque well. area, one's in Houston, one's in Salt Lake City. But my parents are still in Albuquerque. Nice. 
And because uh, we're both, uh, as people know who listen to the show, Albuquerqueans ourselves. Uh, favorite thing about Albuquerque, or let's say this the thing that you miss the most being where you are currently and the thing that you are most excited about where you live currently as opposed Ooh, to good being questions. in Albuquerque. Um, thing I miss the most, um, I mean, obviously family and friends are in their own category. Uh, I've actually been... I've been, I didn't bring any chili with me because I wanted to keep that as the, the, the New Mexico thing. So I can't wait when I go home for Thanksgiving to, to have a little bit. Um, yes. and I can't decide which one I miss more. So I'm just going to go Christmas all the way. That's great. Yes. For those of you, for those of you who are not chili aficionados, it is the, uh, the great debate is the red or the green chili. Um, and here in Colorado, it's the great debate between Pueblo Green and New Mexico Green. It's not even it's a also one of the great debates. So. And I don't understand why, debate. because there's only one true green chili, yeah. and it's from Hatch, New Mexico. So that that conversation should be over. Colorado is mean, just cute grasping all, at this point. No. Yeah, just it's a nice try. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't have that. Agreed. That is it. That is it. Yeah. And then what about on the, uh, the favorable side? Where do you uh, so now I live at a monastery and it's, it's funny because the first few times that you hear the bells at like five twenty in the morning and all throughout the day, it's like, Oh, is this going to be the rest of my time here? Is these like super loud bells? And I've come to love them because there's a structure and a rhythm of prayer here that is unlike any other place. I mean, you have bits of that in the parish, but not nearly as much. And I think it's been just good for my own soul to have a really nice rhythm of prayer. I was going to say, I I can appreciate that because when we would take our youth to a a monastery up north in the Pecos, Mm -hmm. they had a rhythm to the day. And by the time the weekend came to end, you were in that rhythm and when you came back home and the next day, it just wasn't the same. It was like, I really miss that it's structure, but not, not a punitive or a obligate obligatory structure. It was just a very comfortable rhythm of the day. So I can exactly understand where you're coming from. Are you going to bring it back to your parish? Are you back to Albuquerque? You're going to put some big bells outside the church and get them ringing five times a day, get the neighbors all excited like about the, way your the, mind the rhythm of the church. Yeah, let's make it happen. all right well let's just jump right in so as i mentioned at the beginning of the show we're going to be kind of dividing we have two two shows coming up here ladies and gentlemen so um at the end of the first one we'll kind of give a little teaser about what's coming up on the next show so be sure and join us for the two-part father michael series uh but this first part we were we were talking before the show um and father michael you had mentioned to me a story that i came across in a another magazine about a family during World War II in Poland who gave the ultimate sacrifice. They were a a mom and a dad, and I believe seven kids, uh, six six already born and one in the womb, and they made the decision to do the hard thing and do the right thing and um, hide uh, some Jewish neighbors uh, from from the Nazis and from, from extermination. And it's a story of sacrifice. It's a story of commitment. It's a story of sort of that Jesus love uh, that he talks about when he says, no greater love than this, than to lay down your life for your friend. And you're actually related to this family. And I thought, wow, that is that is an amazing story. So um, I'll just kind of open it up to you to kind of how you came across 
you know, the story? Is it something you got from your parents or is this, you know, from your own reading and um, kind of how, how you uh, came to understand what the family did and then just go ahead and give us as many details as you know yeah, about the story. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the Ulma family, uh, the first family that was beatified as an entire family that, that went through that, that whole process, um, they grew up um, and ended up giving their lives in a town just two towns over from where my dad was born and raised in Poland, where we would always go um, to visit my grandparents, where I lived for a year and went to the fir- first grade. So it's there's been a vague familiarity with it my whole life of, oh, yeah, we have family in that other town that um, that helped uh, their Jewish neighbors out. Growing up, that's about as much as I knew about it. But then I got more details as to our connection to them as I grew older and much more when I was in seminary, because by that time there was an official cause for their beatification that had been opened up. And the connection is that Victoria Niemtrak, so the bride, the wife and mother in this scenario, uh, she was the cousin of my great-grandfather. She married Yusuf Ulma, and the two of them had this beautiful openness to life and this dedication to their Catholic faith. So um, they ended up having uh, multiple children at the time that the war was um, really at its worst. And the laws in Poland, because so many Polish people were helping their Jewish neighbors, the laws ended up becoming stricter there than there were anywhere else um, in German occupation. So in Poland, not only were you not to help Jews, but if you knew of someone who was helping Jews, you would be killed. If they found out that you knew and didn't say something about it. So it was every time that the Poles kept helping, they made the laws that much more restrictive to discourage that helping. And yet in the face of those laws, the Ulma family still took in Jewish neighbors. And actually one of the families came all the way from a city that's like an hour away because they knew that these are people who will help when help is needed. They, they had that reputation of being just those kinds of Catholic Christians. Um, what's beautiful is in their family Bible, they had um, in the, with the parable of the good Samaritan, they wrote in the margin. Yes. Almost as if like that is that is the type wow. of family that we are going to be is one that that is the good Samaritan uh, to anybody who is in need. So they ended up sheltering these families for two years, uh, up to just under two years. Wow. Do you know where or how? Because mm-hmm. I know it was it was very agricultural, and mm-hmm. you know they probably yeah, in the barn. farmland and some the barn and the, the attic the barn or something. Who was in the barn? So yeah. Okay. Um. Interestingly, interestingly enough, um, from the because this is through my grandfather, um, it was his father's cousin, uh, his mother's brother, also um, was sheltering a Jewish family at the same time, and so I sometimes get mixed up who had it in the family attic, family home attic, and who had it in the barn. But it was one of those. Um, 
yeah, it ended up having to be really a whole family effort because to keep that secret is not easy. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to like yeah. have your kids be in on a secret. It's not always all that easy. Yeah, but, but that's where kids, yeah. the whole family is beatified because this was an act of charity on behalf of the whole family. And so they ended up sheltering these uh, Jewish families. But then uh, when a police officer had made uh, a visit on the next day, there was a band of German soldiers that came and executed the, the Jewish persons and then the parents and then all of the children, including um, as a result of this, uh, the baby that Victoria was carrying um, also died. There are conflicting reports on did she go into labor at that time that all of this was happening? And so was the, the baby pre-born in the process of being born or already born? Regardless, this baby was martyr. Um, and I think it shows us beautifully the value uh, the dignity and the heroism capable of at any stage of life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, it was a tragic, tragic story uh, in the in its conclusion, but certainly inspirational uh, during the time. Uh, this family being sort of that ray of hope in these lives of people who were desperate. I mean, it was you know for them it was life or death, and I imagine during that time when they were being sheltered, it was, uh, it was a time of, of relief, but also sort of a time of, of trepidation and, and of hopefulness. So um, just an amazing, amazing story of love. And like you said, having the young kids be part of that um, and, and teaching them the dignity of human life, regardless of your religious affiliation or your culture or whatever, that uh, each life is, is sacred and special. It certainly is a beautiful message. Um, for those that aren't familiar with the whole Catholic saint process, we, you know, we use the words like beatification and, uh, you know, the unusualness of, of young children or, or an unborn baby. If you can just kind of real briefly give kind of an insight into that, into that process and what makes this oh, event so uh, special. Certainly. So there is a formal process for declaring people blessed or that they are saints that doesn't mean that only those that we have declared as a church yes they're definitely in heaven are definitely in heaven right that's why all saints day is such a beautiful feast because there's the population of heaven is so much bigger uh, than we would be able to to name but on our journeys we need inspiration we need people to model our lives after and so that's why the church has a formal process of saying these people we know are in heaven because of the way that they lived. Uh, the, the first examples of that were the martyrs, uh, the way that they gave their lives. And then uh, also because through their intercession, we've received um, divine favors, right? So we, we know they're in heaven because we asked them to intercede for us and we got a particular miracle. So as the church examines how these people lived their lives, whatever writings they might have had, if they are in accord with church teaching, things like that, they go through the formal process of being declared a servant of God, then a venerable, then a blessed, which means we know they're in heaven, and they can be celebrated within their community, um, in their local church, 
And then the final step would be they are saints, which means that uh, everyone all throughout the world can imitate this person's example and take it as a sure guide that leads to heaven. Um, so they're in that second to last uh, part of that process of they've been beatified or declared blessed, blessed being in the state of heavenly glory. Wow, that's great. That's great. Because um, I know that I read stories about other, you know, families who um, have children with diseases or uh, struggles. Have these, they've kind of become sort of the sort of the go-to for for prayer intercession for for families, um, you know, with lots of lots of kids. And they've seen some some miraculous things that have that have happened. Um, but I guess the question for you is, growing up, you know, as as you were a young a youngin, a young lad, and and you knew of of this family heritage, um, you know, did it really, did it impact you? What were the kind of the stories around the family table? Uh, what was sort of the, the message or the lore about this great sacrifice of yeah, your, when, when, your relatives? When I was a younger kid, we didn't really talk about it all that much. Um, I don't know exactly why it wasn't until I was in seminary that I got more of the details of their story. Um, so there wasn't, um, too much kind of around the table kind of sharing with that. Uh, but as I got to know their story a little bit more, especially as I was discerning a priestly vocation, it just made me want to live my vocation as heroically as they lived theirs. And knowing also that there was yeah. some unnamed priest that you'll never know that it was in the background. Uh, that was able to hear their confessions. Maybe that was able to uh, talk to Yusef about this hard thing that he was doing and give him some support. And he had to be humble enough to realize this person may be holier and more courageous than I am, but I, through my role, am here to just support them in that. And it kind of set the tone for the kind of priest that I want to be, one that helps others to become saints instead of just wanting to... Um, do it all himself. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I think um, that's sort of one of the main hesitations I think some people have is they feel like, you know, I maybe I don't have what it takes, you know, to be a saint. Maybe, you know, I don't have that, you know, amazing fortitude of, you know, of Augustine or Ignatius or, you know, Mother Teresa or or John Paul II or any of these these, you know, more sort of uh um what's the word? <laughs> sort of sort of contemporary, that's the word, uh saints. Um you know, and as we as we kind of wrap up the show, and and we always like to kind of put what we call the last fry twist on it, and sort of the that joy of of a, of a tragedy, right? Um, and yet, how that can be turned into something positive? What advice would you have, or what advice have you given to? Because I know you do a lot of of young adult ministry, and that's going to be on our next show. Some of the some cool stuff you've done down in Mexico. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's listening, who is, is kind of thinking, you know, I, I want to be better. I want to be great. I want to, our, our theme here is, is making your tomorrow better by besting your yesterday. What's there sort of some motivation or some small things or some advice you've given to people who are say, father, I, I want to be better than I am. And I just don't know how to start or, or I don't think I can do amazing things. And, 
and and what would you say? How would you kind of give them the joy of the mm. of the adventure? Good question. So first, I would just um, look at whether we can call the Ulma family a tragedy, because the cross, were there no resurrection, would be the greatest tragedy that the world's ever seen. But it instead becomes a sign of hope because it's a love that endures beyond the grave. That's what the martyrs show us too. Uh, I, I think they give us hope realizing the victory is greater. The victory of good is greater than the tragedy of evil. And so their love was actually stronger than the Nazis' hatred. And they have conquered now in heaven. And I think that in and of itself is kind of the message to people who are going through all sorts of struggles, maybe with their own personal sin, where they think, I just, I cannot conquer this evil. And they start to identify it and identify with it rather than identifying with the victory of Christ in them and over their sin. So I think sometimes we, we overcomplicate the adventure. We think, oh, I am only ever going to become a saint if I do all these great things instead of realizing, no, maybe I just read my Bible, get inspired by the story of the Good Samaritan. In my heart, I say, yes, that's the way I'm going to live. And then I wait for the people God sends me. Right? The Ulma family didn't have to go far and wide, travel to the other side of the world. The adventure came to them. And unless they had loved each other, in the family unit, unit, they wouldn't have been able to love these people that they brought into that family unit. So, uh, yeah, I would say just live your life and trust that uh, the adventure will unfold if you stay close to God and let yourself be inspired by the saints. Amen. What a, what a great message. And I think on that message, we are going to um, go ahead and shut down this uh, episode of the show and be sure don't go away too far next week we will be firing up part two uh, with the father michael series and hearing about some of his adventures down in mexico so thanks for joining us and we do invite you to be inspired uh, by something small and then go out and do great things even if it's just a kind word a simple gesture or helping somebody who needs so much to be helped and bring with you The joy of the last fry. Please visit us on Instagram at The Last Fry Podcast, Facebook at The Last Fry, and Twitter at Last Fry Podcast. Please leave us a comment about this or any of our episodes. We really appreciate your feedback. The Pulse bumper music was composed by Evgeny Kiselevich and is used under a royalty-free license purchased through safemusiclist.com. Mailbag music and additional sound effects are provided via a royalty-free license purchased through fesslianstudios.com donation and from the YouTube Studio Library. Use of other sound effects or music beds will be credited in the episode notes when appropriate.